Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to another off-season edition of Fantasy Football Today, DFS. I am your host, Sia Najad, and we are continuing our off-season series highlighting NFL DFS strategy and game theory. Last episode, we had Andrew Erickson, we had TJ Hernandez before that, a host of others prior to that. But today, we have Josh Larkey. You can find him at Tweets on Twitter, and I think he's going to tell us where else you can find him. Josh, how are you today? It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's Fantasy Football Today DFS show. I'm I'm ready for this. Doing well. Uh, you can find me all over the FTN spaces. So yeah, I would just say if, if you're on my Twitter account, you'll be able to see what I'm doing. If you're a if you're listening and you go, I don't know who that voice is. I don't know who that person is. Just check the Twitter account. I retweet enough stuff. I tweet enough stuff myself that you'll be able to know what's going on. So uh, it's yeah. great to be here. And jo- thanks, Josh. And, and I'll tell you, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because I follow you on Twitter. I think everybody should follow you on Twitter. You have a really, in my opinion, like a really kind of cool personality. You're not afraid to kind of toe the line and, and say what you need to say. And uh, I mean, it's all from a fantasy football standpoint, of course, but you're not afraid to have like that that take that maybe other people don't agree with or, or what have you. Um, and I know you're doing stuff for FTN. So tell us what you're actually doing for FTN. So my big project right now is a full best ball guide with rankings, discussing why those rankings are the way they are, showcasing a ton of different research I've done on how rookies perform better as the year goes on in best ball and what that looks like, uh, proper roster construction, different stacks that I'm targeting. I feel like I've seen a lot of best ball content, but I've never really seen a full comprehensive guide that's more than just, oh, here's an intro to best ball article. So it's going to be a full downloadable PDF and that'll be coming out very beginning of June. So we're less than two weeks away from that. So I'm excited because I feel like a lot of people, they'll be like, oh, here's my, my top 200 rankings. And I'll look and I'll be like, oh, that, that's very interesting. It looks like you're really high on this player or really low on this player. Okay. And with the, the multiple paragraphs about each player, you can learn why I'm above or below the field on different players. You can get my full player projections in that. I even have a, a couple new models that I'll be showcasing where you'll be able to see my projected spike weeks for each player based on their profile and projections. So that that is the major thing that I'm working on right now. It's pretty much my baby. It's what I'm dedicating most of my, my time to the last few weeks. Yeah, and I know the Fantasy Football Today DFS crew, we may be kind of indulging, maybe with the Fantasy Football Today guys, uh, some some best ball strategy and whatnot. I'll, I'll make sure I uh, take a look at that guide, or at the very least, take a look at your Twitter and um, get some of your advice on that. But I wanted to talk to you today, of course, about sort of DFS theory, game theory, things of that nature. I know we're so far out from the NFL season. Actually, I mean, it's within a few months, so it's not really that far out. But with that said, the NFL schedule did come out and Josh, I want, I want to get into your process, your DFS process, but first I got to ask you because 
you might think it's ridiculous. I, I just love the fact that we actually have games that I can go to a sports book, for example, and check out what the totals are and the spreads are for September 8th and for the main slate on September 11th. Have you taken a look at the schedule and anything that kind of jumped out at you from a DFS standpoint? I realize it's early. I'm just curious. So truth be told, the first thing I looked at when the schedule came out were weeks 15, 16, and 17. Because with this best ball guide, I was like, all right, we got to target those playoff weeks. And then after that, the next thing I did was I was like, all right, let's see some week one matchups. And I'm, I'm located in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm kind of like that that desperate ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend where the, the team leaves and you're like, it's okay. I'm still here <laughs> whenever you want me. So still a Charger fan at, at heart. I think Justin Herbert makes it very easy uh, to keep my fandom even mm-hmm. when the team leaves me. So I saw Raiders at the Chargers. I mean, that is just, oh, oh, oh. we've got two uh, fairly pass-heavy teams. They should both be, uh, I think, both comfortably top 10 passing offenses. If we were to project them, maybe even a little bit better than that for the Chargers. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be playing in SoFi, which is pretty much an indoor stadium. I know it's technically uh, slightly outdoors because there's a little bit of a natural breeze if you're sitting up top like I have before. But let me tell you, it's basically a dome. It's a great offensive environment. So that one caught my eye. I know the game total is above 50 there. The other big game total was the Chiefs of the Cardinals. And I'll tell you what I like about that game. So I'm... I can already tell I'm probably going to be below the field on Kyler Murray because he always worries me when there's no Hopkins. And I just think that their skill position core is honestly god-awful without Hopkins. It's just a bunch of tiny small guys and Zach Ertz mm-hmm. and whatever, like the husk of A.J. Green. But mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a lot of work funneling to James Conner and Marquise Brown. So yeah. I think it's going to be really fun. I think there's going to be a little bit more hesitancy than usual to stack the Chiefs because it's like, well, I don't know who who do you stack Mahomes with? We've mm-hmm. got Travis Kelsey. Uh, do we go Juju? Do we go Sky Moore? Do we go MVS? There's just too many options at this point. And I think it's going to be really fun to do a lot of heavy game stacks where it's like Mahomes, Kelsey, other Kansas City Chief, take your pick yeah. and then have James Conner and Marquise Brown in there. And I think it could be a hyper consolidated, even if not super effective Cardinals offense. And that, that was a game that caught my eye. I'm going to give you one more, even the yeah. sneaky shootout because you're like, all right, Josh, great. You just listed the two games with game totals above 50. Wonderful. The, the monkey could have done that. All right. I've got one more for you. <laughs> Eagles at the lions. Give me that dome game. I always love when it's, when it's in dome, you don't have to worry about weather. We can already just set it and forget it. That it's going to be a nice 68, 69, 70 degrees, whatever it is at Ford Field, and I think the Eagles' offense is going to be much improved. I think they're going to be a lot pass-heavier than last year, and the Lions are much improved. It's a top-five offensive line, top-ten group of skill position players suddenly. That is going to be a very sneaky shootout to look out for. Yeah, that's an interesting one because of the one o'clock slate games, like the first couple games you mentioned, Vegas at the Chargers, Kansas City at Arizona, those are 53 and 52 point totals, but they're in that 425 um, that afternoon slate. The only high scoring game or allegedly high scoring game with a relatively high total is that Philadelphia at Detroit game, but it's only 46 and a half. So I think that's an interesting pivot if you're playing the main slate off of the KC zone of Vegas, LAC, and maybe um, Green Bay at Minnesota, which has a 49-point total. I just Listen, I know it's early, but I just think it's fascinating to talk about these games and fascinating to talk about what we already know, which is 
what games we might not know the players precisely to your point about the Kansas City Chiefs but what games do we already know people are going to want to stack or rely on you know two days when they're making their lineups two days before these games go off and and I think you're right KC Zona is going to be a big one I think second place is going to be Vegas LAC and I think you're right that Philly Detroit is an interesting pivot I think Green Bay at Minnesota is an interesting pivot but as far as pivots and all that stuff, we'll get into that from a game theory standpoint later on. I want to ask you next about sort of your process. So I, I'm I'm kind of setting you up for week one a little bit in terms of, all right, you know, we've looked at games, we've looked at totals, we kind of know where people are going to gravitate to. We know maybe where we want to pivot to, you know, maybe we want to pivot in game, maybe we want to pivot to a completely different game. With all of that said, whether it's week one or week 10, can you give us an idea of what your process is from, let's say, Monday towards, you know, locking your lineups? So the during the week, I'm tweaking projections. I always have my own projections that I'm doing. And I think it's just helpful for anyone out there that has a little, has a few hours during the week of free time, make your own projections. And I think that that's just a nice, helpful exercise to kind of see, all right, we had this transaction, this guy's injured, and let's look at how this team's done in the past. And next thing you know, you can start yourself to realize players that you might think are undervalued. And what I think is very good about doing your own process is think about how many people out there are just like, hey, I'm a, I'm a roto grinder sub or something like that. And they're like, this, this is where I get my information. Great. They are going to have access to a very, very specific set of projections with a very, very specific set of assumptions. If you do your own work at home and come up with something that's very slightly different and next thing you know, you're like, wow, this guy feels like kind of a screaming value and no one's talking about him. You can suddenly have a player that you have conviction on that the rest of the field maybe isn't as aware of. And I think that that's really important. It's kind of like a, I think of it kind of like the wisdom of the crowd where mm-hmm. uh, there've been, I, I was a psych minor. So I have all these like really random examples, but there've been stuff <laughs> where it's like, guess the, the weight of the, the prize pig at a state fair. And there'll be like 5,000 people that guess the weight of the pig. And because everyone that looks at the pig sees it a little bit differently if you average the guesses, it's often really close to the weight of the pig. And you can apply that to your own projections where you're like, you know what? I'm definitely going to miss on some things, but there's probably going to be a little secret sauce that me and my unique brain understands and that it helps identify that this running back's actually in a smash spot or, or anything like that. So that's why I think it's always important to, to when possible, do things you're on your own because mm-hmm. there's going to be things that you just inherently know better than everyone else. And that's just what makes us unique as humans psychologically. So I think that's always an interesting thing is I do my own projections during the week and I'll generally have a good idea of injury reports on stuff generally by Friday. And that's generally Friday, if not Saturday morning, I'll set my quarterback pool. So Mm. I'll say, all right, all right. There's a lot of matchups we like. Let's look at which players are projecting to be pretty popular, unpopular. Here, here's my, my four, five, six, seven, eight quarterbacks that I'm going to be targeting for this main slate. And then I'll start to think about what percent of my overall lineups I want to tie to these quarterbacks. And if there's any players that I think are kind of a unique opportunity to get different, or if it's like, you know, I'm really, I think I'm going to eat this chalky stack, but I'm going to have to go through and check and make sure that if I'm doing that, that I'm not like, oh, wow. I'm like, if, if the, the Herbert, Keenan, I don't know, like let's say Herbert Keenan Allen, Gerald Everett's like the, the popular stack week one with Devontae Adams as the run back. You probably don't want to be like, cool, now let's fill the rest of the lineup with uh, Chiefs Cardinals players. 
That's mm-hmm. probably not the smartest way to do it. So I'll start to think about that a little bit in terms of how I think these lineups will ultimately look. So it's generally projections during the week, quarterback pool either Friday night or Saturday morning. And then Sunday morning, I wake up at 5 a.m. since I'm on the I'm on Pacific time on the West Coast. Yeah. And uh, I'll spend those five hours up till lock, making my lineups, checking them over. So that's kind of the the main five-hour block that I'll utilize. Yeah, and I love the idea of, of kind of setting your own projections. And and for those of you that might that, that might sound intimidating to you, I mean, maybe some of you don't have the time to set your own projections, but you can set your own assumptions of guys you like and, and guys that you think will sort of flash that are lower priced or, or potentially lower owned. And you can kind of like set that pool for yourself before you even look at projections, before you look at rankings and stuff like that. In fact, in sports betting, I think that's a smart play, particularly with the NFL, is to guess the lines yourself and then you go back, you see what the line was actually set at, and either it's a blind spot from you because you forgot to factor in something, and through your research you can figure it out, or it's a blind spot from the handicappers, and maybe maybe there are occasions where they're missing something, especially early in the season. So, I, Josh, I think that's sort of setting your own projections, or at least setting your own sort of player pool that you like before you get maybe group thinked into or group thought mm-hmm. into um, playing a different pool, I think is a really mm-hmm. yeah, savvy play. Yeah. To add on to that is let's just say that, that you subscribe to, to whatever site you like, whether that's FTN or I don't know, uh road grinders. Awesome. Like there's a lot of these main DFS sites out there. Mm-hmm. You sub to your site, you see the projections, you're in the optimizer, do exactly that and go, Oh, you know what? Wow. I really thought Mike Evans was going to smash projected for 14 fantasy points. And you manually change that to 18. That right there is going to get you really different because suddenly the the field probably isn't in love with Mike Evans if he's projecting kind of low and he's expensive, but you're like, no, 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 that's the expensive player I want this week. So that type of stuff I think is really important. So Josh, let me ask you about this because you, you're setting your player pool. I want to ask you kind of two fundamental things. First of all, the tournaments you play, are they generally of the single entry three max cash variety or are you kind of max entering uh, you know, these 150 max GPPs, or is it a little bit of both? And finally, do you play cash games as well, or is it just um, GPPs for you? I've played cash games. I made a, a very, very small amount of money and realized that to me, at least, it was not worth my time to be scrounging up $10, $20 here, $10 there. So now I am exclusively one of those opto bros, the 150 maxer. So I'm one of those horrible people that you see at the bar. Who, who's buying everyone shots and doing as many lineups as I possibly can. I'm just going all in in that sense. So the the person I hated, I've become. So I'll, yeah. I'll generally just 150 max uh, across several DFS platforms. That's kind of what that five-hour time block Sunday mornings is. It's like, all right, let's, let's get 150 lineups in for DraftKings, for FanDuel, for Yahoo. If I have some time, I'll generally sneak in another like 50 to 100 for SuperDraft. And the next thing you know, five hours has gone by and I've made a few hundred lineups. Mm-hmm. So that, that is what that big block is for, is purely for the, the max entering. And there's never enough time, right? Because you say five hours and that sounds like a lot of time, but but I, I'm more of a, a hand build guy and I'm doing a, a bunch of different single entries or three maxes, some cash, but I th- I block out two to three hours and it's and I'm always it's always like up to the last minute where I'm submitting my last lineup and I'm and I'm feeling like super anxious about it because I, I could have used another couple of minutes. So um yeah, five hours sounds like a lot, but you tell me, Josh, it's oh, not, no, it's, is it? No, I'm it's it's always like it'll be an hour and a half till the game's lock, and I'm like, oh man, I've still got two hundred lamps going, but babe. You make me some coffee. <laughs> I, I would do it, but I don't have five minutes. I'm, looking, and I'm just looking at the clock. I'm like, man, this thing's moving quickly. 
Uh, no joke. My, my wife doesn't even like talk to me on Sundays. And that's just, it's just like a standing sort of order and agreement between the two of us. Like I am too sort of like <laughs> stressed out putting all this stuff in and watching the games. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy it, but it's, it's a little anxiety ridden too. I'm very competitive. 100%. I want to win. And so it's just one of those things where, um, I talk to myself that entire Sunday for the most part, sometimes on Monday as well. But let's let's talk about something else because I, I, it sounds to me like you're using optimizers to a certain degree, but I'm kind of curious what statistics you think are important maybe leading up to using the optimizer or leading up to you know, projecting what player pool you want during the week. I mean, there's so many things. I think volume is a big word in this NFL DFS community and it, and it really applies to NFL DFS more than some DFS sports like golf, for example, volume isn't, I play a lot of DFS golf. I'm an analyst for golf as well uh, for CBS sports, but also for wind daily and some other outfits. And it's a completely different analysis with golf because there you're not getting volume more than anybody else. Unless of course you make the cut, which is a different analysis in and of itself. Here we have, you know, you're, you're, Snap share, for example, your your red zone snap share, your targets, your red zone targets, things of that nature. I'm just curious, like, what of those, or maybe defensive versus offensive matchups, whether that's offensive line versus defensive line or wide receiver versus secondary, are there some that stick out to you that, like, you have found over the years are just way more important than people think? So the the trenches is actually very important. I'm not the best at understanding that. Like, I'm not going to be doing analysis and go, oh, my God, look at the pressure rate of this guy versus this guy. Let's pull up their PFF grade. And, oh, my goodness, look at the left side. They're going to have to run to the right side. And that means blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It'll basically just be like, all right, we've got a really dominant front seven against a really struggling offensive line. And if if that quarterback, for some reason, is pretty popular, I'll be like, cool, that's a pretty easy fade for me right there. Mm-hmm. Don't really want uh, him to be pressured that much. That's probably a good defense slot. Or uh, conversely, if there's a, a game and maybe it's kind of a stinky offense, but it's consolidated. And I know that if this team hits, it's probably going to be these two players and they have a decent offensive line. They're going up against a fairly weak front seven. The quarterback's going to have a lot of time to throw. Probably a good game for me to be above the field on just because there's so many people that are like, you know what? I just don't understand the trenches. I'm not going to think about it. Whereas for me, I'm like, you know what? I don't understand the trenches. So I'm going to see if someone else understands the trenches. I'm going to take their advice there and weave that in. The other thing I think that uh, is pretty important is I think routes data is important. Obviously like targets per route run. I feel like a lot of people talk about that. I talk about that a lot and how it's very important to know per route, how often are these receivers getting targeted? Because if if you're not getting targeted per route, doesn't matter how many routes you run, you're never going to get targeted. It's like the the Jalen Guyton conundrum where it's like, oh, he has like an 85, 90% routes run share on the Chargers and they're a really good offense. And you realize the dude's getting like two targets a game. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. how many times he runs, he's good for like one 17 point week. And even then it's like, you're not really winning a GPP from Guyton's like two catch, like 60 yard and a touchdown week or something like that. So uh, I really like the routes run data in general and folding in targets per out run. And I think it, it's a good, uh, the way that I do it in my projections, it's a very good tiebreaker where if there's two players that I really like and I go, well, one guy generally runs three, four more routes than the other. Cool. I'm just going to go with the guy that runs more routes because it's a volume game. And if he's getting more reps, I'll just go with that guy. It's some of the way if you feel like, oh, I've got two running backs. One of them is going to get 20 carries. One of them is going to get 18. 
and they're both projecting similarly enough, but you're like, well, this guy's probably getting more touches or a higher percent of his team's touches. Why not just lean on that guy? So I see too many people fall into traps of efficiency and it's like, hey, sometimes you just want volume and that's a good tiebreaker. A stat that I think gets way too much love because I know we want some good and bad. And I've talked up a few stats. I don't like the cornerback wide receiver matchups. Yeah, I totally I agree feel with like you. So many people love them. And uh, at my old company, when I was at Player Profiler, we did a ton of work with wide receiver cornerback matchups and I was deep in the weeds with the data. You want to know what I found? found that the shadow corners, they're like 50, 60%. Mm-hmm. It is very hard to find the cornerback that is actually attached to the receiver for 80, 90, 100% of their routes. Right. So here, here's a here's a thought experiment. It's like, oh, you, you really don't want to play this receiver. They're facing the Packers. Jair Alexander, you, you can't do it. Well, let's say that Jair Alexander matches up with the wide receiver that you shouldn't play 60% of the time. The other way you could think about this 40% of the time, Jair Alexander is going to line up on the wide receiver two. Let's say that you really like the wide receiver one. So it's like 40% of the time, Alexander is guarding the wide receiver two. What that screams to me is 40% of pass plays, the wide receiver one, the most talented, the best receiver mm-hmm. is going to be the glaringly obvious target on that play. And right. there's a pretty clear path to how this guy can pay off in DFS. And right. I feel like... Mm-hmm because it's like such a sexy stand. And it's like, Oh, like this guy's covering this guy. And this, I know PFF always hypes it up. It's like, this is the, here's the, the cornerback receiver matchup to watch. Like you had, you can't miss it. This is like the popcorn emojis. And then it's like, all right, well, they, he covered him for 20 of his 40 routes. And right. the guy ended up doing just fine in DFS. Like there've been so many times that like a guy like Metcalf gets faded because of all oh, the cornerback matchup. And it's like, well, you were in 20 routes against a bad cornerback. And what did they do? They were like, dude, go long. You're facing the bad cornerback. I'm just going to, Russ is like, I'll just huck it to you. And you see that time and time again. So I feel like the market is just way too reactionary to these wide receiver cornerback matchups. I don't get it. And I think it's just a a great pivot is to pay very minimal attention to that for DFS. No, I like how you turn that around to the 40%. I was talking on uh, Sirius XM to Prince of Mukamara just two nights ago, and he was just sharing a story about Tyreek Hill and about how if it's if it's press coverage, and this is back when he was you know playing against him, if, if it were pre- if it was press coverage or if it was just the wrong matchup, like that forty percent of the time matchup, it's just like a go route, and he is it's either a go route or he is just the the number one and only read on on. Oh, the, they know, uh, yeah. So it's one of those things like you're getting like when you talk about targets per route run. Well, targets per route run when it's the off cornerback it's obviously going to explode and that's exactly where you're getting your dfs points during those sometimes while jair is is guarding you but but a lot of the times it's when he's not and that's when you explode well another way to think about it is like yeah the running back it's a volume position rarely are you going to be like oh let's pay up for the running back that i think is going to get eight touches but with receiver i mean how many times do we see a guy pay off in dfs because he has one long catch and then another long touchdown catch you only need two, three broken plays or two, three plays where it's the prime matchup and the receiver makes makes an explosive play for them to pay off in DFS. It's sure you want your receiver to get volume, but generally the way that they're actually scoring their fantasy points, the, the reason that the receiver position is so volatile is it's only a few plays a game. So yeah, I love that. It's mm-hmm. like, I mean, just think about if you're playing like backyard football with your friends and there's, and you have a, one of your friends is six foot and the other team puts a five foot seven guy against them. If you ever see that happen, you're probably going to audible whatever you were game planning and be like, all right, dude, just 
just sort of get open, try and stay away from the other defenders. We're just going to zone in on you and you've got six inches on the guy. You're going to, you're going to catch it. And I'm sure that's what happens with like a Tyreek Hill, DK Metcalf, Devonte Adams. If they get the, the matchup they want, Oh, it's, it's over. There's probably what, like 70, 80% chance at this point that, wow, the ball is getting funneled to this guy. Big plan coming. I love that. Let me ask you one thing about wide receivers, because you're talking about some overrated sort of stats. You talked about ta- target per route run. It, it sounds to me like snap share for receivers would appear to be a little overrated in your estimation. I, I, is that a fair characterization or no? Yeah, I would say that's fair. And okay. I understand like, you need the receiver to be out on the field. But I, I think one thing I've seen is that too often people, they'll take a receiver on a pretty run-heavy team and then they'll justify playing him over the receiver in the pass-heavy team because of snap share. Right. I think that's what you never want to do is you never want to be like, oh, look at look at this receiver. Their snap share is 90%. Why would you play the 70% guy? And it's like, well, the 70% guy is getting more targets. He's running more routes because of the nature of that offense. So I think that's a, a dangerous game to play. So I'll agree with you. That's routes run underrated snap share overrated. There it is. (laughs) There we go. Okay. We're going to come back after a quick break and we're going to talk about some ownership and chalk and how to fade chalk and, you know, what, what some of the strategies that Josh Larkey gets into when it comes to that. Uh, We'll take a quick break and we'll talk about that on the return. And we are back and we're talking ownership now with Josh Larkey. Josh, I I think, I, I think ownership is sort of different DFS sport to DFS sport. But I do think regardless of the DFS sport, you know, if we're talking golf or, or football or MLB, whatever it is, I think game theory is probably a much bigger piece of the pie than, than the casual DFS player thinks it is. And I just want to ask your perspective on that. And then I'd actually like you to kind of put in play how you would handle ownership. We talked about the week one matchups. We talked about how that Chargers game that you like and perhaps that Kansas City-Arizona game you like are going to be probably, you know, two of the most popular, if not the two most popular games from a DFS standpoint. I'm just curious how how you're going to deal with that as a guy who's who's making 150 lineups and, and trying to trying to implement some of that game theory in there. So this always comes as a surprise to people when I talk about this. I'm sure I'm going to change my process a little bit as the summer goes on. FTN has a ton of really great tools. We do ownership projections in-house. I'm not someone that has paid too much attention to ownership projections, yet my lineups don't get duped. And the reason for that is I've always focused, and I'm aware of who the chalk players are and stuff, and it's not like I'm like, oh, I don't care at all. Let's throw six chalky guys in and see what happens. I generally don't want more than two to three very chalky players in my lineup. However, the way that I've generally found I don't get duped and can create unique lineups is through very advanced correlation. I've always been someone that loves to game stack. You kind of, so I'm sure there are people that were, were kind of cringing early on in the show. And I was like, you've got like Mahomes, Kelsey, Juju, James Conner, Marquise Brown. And they're like, dude, you can't play five players in the same game in a large field tournament. Are you kidding me? And I mean, yeah, that, that lineup is most likely not going to hit, but there's a very obvious case where that lineup hits. And what I like to do is correlate enough that it's going to make you uncomfortable. And you're going to think, wow, that seems, I don't know. can you really get that many touchdowns from one game in there? And that's exactly what I want. I want to hit that pressure point and take it a little bit further. And I found that that's been a way that I've been really successful is it helps me minimize how many things I need to get right. So I'm not as worried about, all right, we're really going to need oh, 
please give me like this, this random receiver, this random receiver, or this, this running back going off. I'm Mm -hmm. like, Hey, if the game shoots out, this lineup is going to hit big. And there's several games like that every year. Most, I would say that every two to three weeks, there's a game like that where it's basically you look at the slate and go, like, let's just say that you didn't watch games all day. You look back on the scores, you're watching Sunday night football, you're on the couch and you suddenly go, oh my God, if you weren't stacking that game, you weren't going to do well. Like I remember there was like that, that Packers Vikings game from last year. There were, uh, there were like 75, 80 points. Uh, I had a big win when it was the Chargers Browns game that had like 80, I think 86 or 88 combined points between the two teams. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of games that I'm looking for. And my process is ideally trying to hit on as many of those games as possible, because when those games hit, you're going to have four, five, six, sometimes even seven players from that game hitting. And I want to have four or five of them in my lineup, maybe even six, because all you needed to get right was that the game went nuts. And then it's pretty much just, well, if you were centering 30 lineups around that game, you were almost guaranteed to hit it. And now you have what? two, three lineup slots and a defense left, it's much higher probability that you're going to have the right players in those slots. Then if suddenly you look and you're like, cool, I nailed my initial stack and run back, but I've still got six lineup slots left and we really need a touchdown from this guy, a touchdown from that guy, a touchdown from that guy. And you're on red zone. You're on red zone and you're like, oh, damn it. That wasn't the touchdown he needed. Oh, but that was. And that just sounds anxiety provoking. I don't like to do that. That's not how I play DFS. So... I generally use ownership projections more to just be aware of who the chalk is. And I'll notice kind of when I do my projections, I'm like, wow, like this guy, I'll I'll look Monday or Tuesday and go, that guy just egregiously mispriced. And that kind of tells me like, well, unfortunately, probably not going to have too much of him DFS this weekend because uh, I think everyone else is going to know that workhorse running back who's priced at 5,900 on DraftKings is going to be in everyone's lineup that week. Yeah, I totally agree with that. The the idea, especially in the big tournaments where you're kind of doing the 150 max, the idea of being uncomfortable, I think makes sense. If you are comfortable with your lineup in a 150 max uh, contest that has 100,000 entries, then you're just your your roster construction is going to be very similar to like 90% of the people playing. But if your roster construction is egregiously kind of like overweight in terms of how many players you have uh, from a certain game, I think that's when you can really pop and like take down that big tournament. Mm-hmm. Is that, it, did I summarize that well? I mean, it, yeah, I'll give me, a good example of yeah. this. So there, it was actually like, everyone was talking about it at the time. I'm sure no one's going to talk about it now. And hopefully this doesn't bring too many people to their come to Jesus moment. Cause I want to keep doing my strategy, but awesome. took down the Millie maker last year. Do you wonder what his lineup had? It had Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Wow, you shouldn't play all those guys together. That's that's too many Seahawks. Oh, I forgot to mention, and Rashad Penny. That was a Millie Maker winning lineup. Mm-hmm. That is the type of thing I'm going for. I want the offense to go berserk, and I just count my money because I'm like, cool, had all those players. So that's exactly the type of thing that I want to do where pre-main uh, slate, if you saw that lineup, you would think some casual Seahawks fan made that. Right. Like, wow, that's hilarious. This person thinks four Seahawks are going off. And then sure enough, that that is what won him a million dollars. 
I got to give a shout out to to the, my co-analyst. So we we do our fantasy football today DFS show. Um, you know, last year we did it every Tuesday and Thursday. Probably the same schedule this year. But the point is, it's me, it's Frank Stample, our host, and uh, Mike McClure. And Mike McClure is sort of the king of doing what you're suggesting, Josh. Of you know, when he really likes a game, he gets after it. And it's funny because we'll see in the like the comments to the show, for example, like on YouTube or something, somebody will call Mike out. Because like, how could you possibly stack that many Chiefs in one game? That doesn't make any sense. There's not enough to go around. And, you know, Mike's just laughing all the way to the bank because, you know, yeah, of course, that that can fall flat at times. But you're trying to take down a tournament. If that's what you're trying to do, that is sort of like the type of strategy that you want to get involved with. So I, I, I totally agree with that. Josh, let me ask you this. So you're you're a part of. FTN. I know you were formerly with Player Profiler. I think a lot of people listening would like to know. You know, if they're not maybe you as sophisticated and, you know, really like grinding on projections every day and things of that nature, are there places to go that maybe streamline some of the data, whether they're free or paid sites, maybe a little bit of both? I imagine FTN has has some great stuff. I imagine I, I, I know Player Profile has some great stuff, including some free stuff, I believe. Are there any kind of maybe go to websites that you'd send the, the casual observer or the casual listener? Yeah, I think if, if you're just starting off and you want to know some free advanced stats, Player Profiler is a great site. I used to work there. Uh, there's a lot of really good free stuff where you can look at the player page and go, oh, wow, Josh, you're talking about targets per outrun. That's pretty advanced. That's probably going to be paywalled everywhere. Like, yeah, PFF, they're going to paywall that. Player Profiler, you can see that stat for every player. You just go to their player page. So mm-hmm. if you're kind of curious, wow, I want to know how that underlying advanced metric is, that's a good place. You want to pay a little money? FTN has some really, really good tools. So if you go to ftndaily.com, we have optimizers for every sport. The, the football one looks really good. I'm excited to check that out during the season. And a couple tools that FTN has that pretty much from day one, I was like, well, these are tools that I'm going to be using during the NFL season. One of them is our splits tool. And it's like, hey, Dalvin Cook is out. How does Alexander Madison do in the lead back role? You can immediately figure that out and you don't have to start game log counting on uh, pro football reference to figure out, oh, well, how did Madison do in this game or that game or that game? You can just choose a year range and say, all right, I want Madison to play this many snaps. Dalvin Cook's not playing snaps. Let's see what this split looks like. And I think that's very helpful. Same with, oh, uh, this receiver's out. Like Devontae Adams is out. How did the Packers do? And then you might uncover, wow, Aaron Jones has been really going off when Adams is out. And I think that that type of stuff can be really helpful just for you to get your process going. Another one we have is the pace tool, where it's basically just analyzing each offense and how many plays they're running per minute, what their pass and run rates are, fully sortable. You can say, hey, let's remove this portion of the game, or I don't really want to use the last two minutes of the game for pace because teams are either playing uncomfortably fast if they're losing or uncomfortably slow if they're winning and just kneeling and running out the clock. So there's a lot of really cool dials that you can turn there to figure out, okay, here's a matchup where, the yeah, the game total is only 45, but both teams are very pass-heavy and kind of fast-paced. And sure, maybe they're not the best-looking offenses, but not that much needs to go right to envision a shootout as opposed to, wow, two stinky offenses and they're run-heavy. That feels like a much easier 45 game total for me to avoid than the 45 or I guess 45 is still kind of high. I'm thinking back to like, yeah, we'll say 42 for everyone listening. 42 sounds a lot lower. So mm-hmm. the, the 42 game total and you're like, oh, like two run heavy teams. No, two pass heavy teams. Suddenly, even if the, the quarterbacks are bad, there's a much clearer path to me 
that this is a sneaky shootout to target. Yeah, that all sounds really great. And a shout out to CBS Sports, who, who of course, has a ton of great podcasts and information under their umbrella and at CBSSports.com, among other places. I but- use your fantasy points allowed tool. That was another one. The oh, nice. CBS, like fantasy points allowed to different positions and you can sort by team. I, I used that one a lot last year, actually. So I will yeah, give a shout out to CBS. A genuine one. I, uh, I used yeah, that tool I, frequently I, last year. I, Josh, I didn't expect that. Thank you so much. I just, uh, <laughs> you, you, but you know what? There's a lot of good information out there. Sometimes there's some bad information too. I talked about that with Andrew Erickson last week where we, you know, we were talking about Twitter where Josh, you put a lot of good information out there. Andrew does. TJ Hernandez, who's been on this, this um, off season series. Like there's a lot of good information. There's some bad information, but I think it's good to kind of go in and, you know, maybe have a few sources that you go to, whether that be FDN or Player Profile or CBS Sports or, you know, Sportsline, whatever it is, and just kind of gravitate to those on a week by week basis, make them a part of your process and, and just kind of see how you're doing from there. L- okay, so I want to ask you a couple more questions before we let you go, Josh. First, l- let me just sum up maybe a summary question for the DFS listener. If going into this next NFL season, if you could maybe offer maybe two or three sort of strategies, or they could be general if you want, uh, two or three kind of words of advice, strategies, rules to go by going into the season for somebody who might be fairly new or last year just didn't do so well when it came to NFL DFS, anything to offer there? Yes. The first one, just heavily correlate. It's going to be a lot easier, even if you're not taking down tournaments, just to be able to hit the pay line since that always feels good. It's just being able to hit the pay line. And I would say just double stack your quarterback and have one to two runbacks. And what I mean by that is the quarterback, one to two running backs, receivers, or tight ends on that quarterback's roster as well. So we got three players on the same team and then one or two players on the team that they're facing as the runback. So if it's uh, that, that Chiefs-Cardinals game week one, you might have Mahomes, Kelsey, Juju, and then you run it back with James Conner. You run it back with Marquise Brown or you run it back with Rondell Moore and James Conner, something like that. And that that right there gives you a really high chance of having a good lineup if that game shoots out. So I think that right there, just do it really heavy correlation. And that's just a great way to be able to hit the pay line more often. In addition to also getting kind of unique where most people aren't taking their lineups to that degree of correlation. Another one, always fade the popular punt play wide receiver. Hmm. Every single week there there's it's you're going to notice it most weeks. Oh, there's just this mispriced wide receiver. It's disrespectful. <laughs> he's the minimum price. You'll hear analysts salivating. They're like, oh, he's he's three thousand dollars. Got to play Project- Keelan Cole Senior. Yeah, you got he's to. projected for six targets and forty-five yards. He's gonna give you ten to twelve fantasy points at three thousand dollars. And you wonder what happens? The wide receiver position is very volatile. That guy's probably not gonna hit. And even if he quote unquote hits and all the, the, the analysts and quotes out there are high-fiving themselves, dude's probably giving you like 12 or 13 points. And it turns out that you could very easily take down a tournament without that player. Mm-hmm. Rarely is the cheap punt play wide receiver, the guy that pour, that pours in 25 fantasy points at $3,000 and you go, wow, I'm not going to be able to make money unless I had that player. That almost never happens compared to how often you would think that's going to happen based on how some people will talk about them. So I would say that I see a lot of newer DFS shows and newer DFS analysts making that mistake and they'll recommend someone. I'm like, dude, you you just, you cannot recommend the cheap punt play receiver who's very popular. That is just, there has never been an easier uh, fade than that player. 
And then conversely, if people are freaking out because there's a very chalky running back that's going to get all the touches, that is the chalk to eat. So if you're new and you go, oh my God, McCaffrey's in a smash spot, but this analyst X told me I can't play McCaffrey because the everyone else out there also knew he was in a smash spot. You know what? You're allowed to play McCaffrey. And I, I think that that's something that some people run into and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to go with the receiver because he's cheap. It is fine to eat the expensive chalk at running back. I, I don't know why people get so freaked out about that. There's only so many good running backs each week. There are so many receiver slots where you can get different in your lineup. So I think those those tips can help out some of the, the newer people or maybe you just had a bad season and you were in the red last year. I love it. I love that a lot. Okay, so let's talk about bad things or good things. I, I want to ask you, like each show I do, I, I'm talking about a bad beat or like a lucky break you got in DFS. My mm-hmm. bad beat last year was I almost had a single entry tournament taken down outright, but Kadarius Tony decided to punch somebody in the face with their helmet on and he got thrown out with eight minutes and 30 seconds left. And he would have had, a, I mean, the way he was getting targeted, it was like I was easily going to finish first place. So that's my sort of bad beat. Do you have a bad beat from the last couple of years or maybe like a lucky break where somebody fumbled or caught a, a Hail Mary and it, you ended up, you know, high in the rankings? This is an NFL podcast, but we're going to talk about the USFL. Love it. The league that is really struggling right now. The, the DFS contests get worse by the week. Week one. I was sitting pretty in first place in their big tournament, about to win $25,000. Wow. Garbage time happens. It's okay. I'm still going to win $25,000. It was like the second to last play of the game, and I ended up missing out on first place by 0.2 fantasy points. Thank you to garbage time. So mm-hmm. I did not get $25,000. I got $10,000. So it's great. Uh, you you can't hate winning $10,000, but basically one two-yard run up the middle is what cost me fifteen dollars So Wow. You don't you don't love to see that. That's why sometimes I'm like, ah, I probably shouldn't have checked my lineup at that minute. Probably should have waited till the end. So that kind funny, of stuff happens. Josh, funny story happens. about that. I when I know I am, and I've I've shared this on on FFT DFS a couple of different occasions. People think I'm crazy when I know I'm near the top, and it's like sort of later in the slate where it's going to come down to basically one quarter or a few plays. I don't look at my DraftKings. I don't look at it at all. Because I know I kind of know where I am, and the last thing I want to see is that I'm in first or second place somewhere I want to be, and then all of a sudden some crazy play happens or some average play happens, and and I slip down to tenth place. I don't want to know until it's banked. So I literally, when it's the fourth quarter of the afternoon games, whether I'm playing the afternoon slate or the main slate, I do not look at my phone. I don't look at texts. I don't look at anything. You cannot reach me between like seven o'clock and seven thirty because I'm not looking at my phone. Period. So I hear you on that. Yeah, generally, Um, uh, like all the anxiety happens when I start to look at the phone. So. There will be a few times a year where I crack and I'm like, oh, I just kind of want to see what happens. But mm-hmm. generally, once the the late games lock, oh, we are, we are not opening the DraftKings, FanDuel, Yahoo apps. None of those are getting opened. I don't want to see any of those DFS lineups until the final play of the final game of that slate has ended. I totally get it. So, okay, let me ask you this. We had the NFL draft. Um, and I know you're doing a lot of best ball stuff for FTN. Are there any guys like, and I'm talking from a DFS context, I know it's early, but any guys that are sticking out to you that you think are going to be relatively high impact and probably low price in the first, you know, week one, two or three, because maybe they're in good situations. Yeah. I've got a name for you. 
those who listen to a lot of my work are like, Josh, stop pounding the drum for this guy. You know what? I'm going to keep pounding the drum until the drum is totally broken because people don't seem to be listening and taking it in fully. It is Sky Moore. He was drafted mm. round two by the Chiefs. Sky Moore is going to be a problem in the NFL. He's a very good prospect. And he's on the Chiefs. And their current offense is basically just Travis Kelsey and then a lot of uh, surprising unknowns as to what the depth chart looks like. Mm-hmm. Feels like a ripe opportunity to throw in Sky Moore. Juju Smith-Schuster has seen like targets per outrun, yards per outrun. It's been declining for like four years now. He was being out-targeted by Claypool, Deontay, and Najee Harris through four weeks before he got injured week five last year. MVS has a career-high 14% target share and a catch rate in his career below 50% playing with Aaron Rodgers. Meikle Hardman is a gadget guy. Even Travis Kelsey turns 33 in October and showed mm-hmm. real serious signs of decline based on his efficiency last season. Pretty much every player in that offense, aside from Sky Moore, is on the decline. He just got taken round two. He's on the incline. I really like Sky Moore. And if you're telling me that there's all these question marks on the depth chart and no one's really standing out, and it's the Andy Reid offense with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, that is a, a player that I'm going to be very heavily exposed to the first few weeks of the season. The, the guy's going to pop. There wasn't much by way of running back selected early, but we I've got names like Brees Hall, Ken Walker, maybe James Cook with Buffalo. Any of them sticking out to you as maybe early impact guys? So the the one that I'm I'm excited about because I just don't think people are going to play him too much is I think James Cook's going to be a really fun addition to my Josh Allen stacks. Mm. Since a lot of people they they get a little squeamish stacking the running back and the quarterback. I've done a lot of research, and while yes. You're going to have analyst X out there in your ear saying, did you, uh, you can't stack the quarterback and the running back. They're negatively correlated. When one scores a lot of fantasy points, the other doesn't. Well, yes, that's technically what negatively correlated means. Mm-hmm. I did a study where I only looked at spike weeks, which is the, the weeks where the players are going absolutely bonkers. And it turns out that quarterbacks going absolutely bonkers is also correlated to the running backs going bonkers. So it's actually pretty good to sneak some running back quarterback stacks. I have no idea what James Cook's role is going to be, but I think that he's going to be a fun player to sneak into some Allen stacks to get kind of different during the first few weeks of the season, whenever they're on the main slate. So he'll, he'll be a fun one where it's like Josh Allen, James Cook, Stefan Diggs, or Josh Allen, James Cook, Gabriel Davis. So let me just to clarify on that fine point there. Are you saying that even if it's a, it, the study you did, even if it's not a pass catching running back like an Eckler or McCaffrey, for example, that they're still positively correlated when when they have the spike weeks? Just looked at starting running backs. Didn't look at gotcha. all at what their profile was. It was purely, uh, I don't remember what I chose. I think I chose like five or more fantasy points above their season average. Mm-hmm. And those types of games are actually really positively correlated between quarterback and running back. So I'm like, all right, you DFS touts that are fading the quarterback running back stack because they're negatively correlated. Like, why would I care that they're negatively correlated all the time? I thought we were playing DFS and we're trying to hit those rare outcomes because I'm pretty sure that the rare outcomes are actually very highly correlated between a quarterback and a running back. Like, sure, it's not quite what the quarterback receiver connection is, but there's going to be no ownership of the quarterback running back tandem. So sneaky way to get different. Uh, and I agree. I was I was not shy to do that, even with the the lesser sort of pass catching running backs last year. So I love that. Okay, last question. Are you ready for it? We we want to know who's going to be in the Super Bowl this year. 
I've got the Bills and Niners. I'm starting to get a little shaky about the Niners call. I, I do like the Bills in that stacked AFC, but who you got? So I've got uh, the formerly hometown Los Angeles Chargers. Love it. And I, I think Mr. Tom Brady continues to defy the age model. I think it's going to be Chargers Buccaneers. The Buccaneers looked like the best team to me in the NFC last year. And they just had a, a crazy amount of receiver injuries late. And with the Chargers, this roster is truly just too stacked. They have a top five quarterback on a rookie deal. There's pretty much no holes on the roster at this point. And they just, it seems like every year they get the injury bug. They need to like fire their, their, their head trainer or something. I don't know what's going on there, but this year, the variance with injuries finally doesn't absolutely kill them. Chargers Buccaneers for the Super Bowl this year. I, I love what the Chargers did in the offseason, really on both sides of the ball. Hot take alert. I have the Chargers winning the AFC West. I have Denver making the playoffs, and I have Kansas City on the outside looking in, not Ooh, making spicy. the playoffs. I did preface that with hot take alert. So, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Now, we know you're doing a, a lot of best ball stuff that sounds like we can check out in the coming week or two. But as we lead up to the season, anything else you want to promote or talk about that we can look forward to coming from Josh Larkey at Tweets. Just follow me on Twitter for more. I am just locked in on best ball, but I assure you there's going to be DFS content. There's going to be more best ball content coming later. There's going to be more redraft content and you'll be able to find that and stay up to date on Twitter. So thank you so much. This was, this was just great. Love, love talking DFS on a Monday. Me too, Josh. All right. That is it for fantasy football today. DFS. We will see you soon.